All right, your question for the... I sound a little loud, don't I? Yeah. Sound like I'm talking to my kids. Uh, okay, your question for the day is this. By the way, I'm Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It is really cool to have all of you with us today. Some friends I haven't seen in a while, some new friends that we're making, and it's great to have you all with us uh, today. So your question for the day is this. You ready for it? Here it is. <clears throat> How many rewards do you think you have in heaven right now? That took you off guard, didn't it? So some of you are thinking, I don't really do things for rewards. Okay, well, oh, you're up there, all right? So I wonder, how many rewards do you think, or how many rewards do I have in heaven right now? I mean, what you do for the Lord, uh, there's, there's some promises in scripture about rewards. I wonder how big the pot is right now. So maybe this is a better question. Why do you do good things? Um, what's our motivation? What's your motivation? Or maybe a better question, should it even matter? Some people do good things for a variety of different reasons. Some people do good just simply because there's a reward in itself when you do something good. When you do something to bless other people, when you do something good for other people, there's a reward in itself. I was curious about this, so I looked up the nuns. Now, that's not the nuns that live in monasteries. This is the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. How many of you are familiar with that term? No, nuns. Nuns are people with no religious affiliation. It's a growing group of people in this generation that have chosen to kind of uh, balk at the idea of religion. And so they are called, literally, they have a name for them, they're called the nuns, not N-U-N-E-S, which is ironic that nuns are dedicated to religious service and nuns are anti-religious service. But anyway, this group of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, when asked what their motivation was for being good, this is their answer. Being a morally good person means being grateful for what you have. All right, so I'm morally good if I'm grateful for what I have. 53% agreed with that. That's the largest agreement slot. Here's the second one. Coming to spend time with family or committing to spend time with family, 47% of people with no religious affiliation said that is a morally good thing to do. Forgiving those who have wronged you, 39%. And working to protect the environment, 35%. Now, I thought that would be a little higher. That one's actually a little lower, 35%. Listen to this. About a quarter of nuns, people with no religious affiliation, don't care about religion, don't, don't, atheists would be in there, all the above. 23% of nuns wrote that the golden rule was essential to morality, to good morality. Most would agree that actions ultimately make the difference between living a good life and not living a good life. So some people would say that they just do good because there's, there's uh, you know, morally we all should do something good. Some people do good because they think it's going to get them into heaven. <laughs> Survey in 2016, three quarters of Americans, 77% said, in some way people must contribute to their own effort for personal salvation, 77%. Half of Americans, 52%, said good deeds will earn them a spot in heaven. Some people believe that doing good works will wash away sins that you have piling up. We call that penance. And this is, uh, this is one of the prayers I looked up from, uh, from penance. This prayer is from uh, catholic.org, if you're interested. This is called Be Sorry for Sins, and it reads like this. Help me to get rid of my sins. I don't want to lose my soul in everlasting torment without all happiness banished from you forever. Help me realize that I should have to make up for my venial sins and that some of the punishment due to all sin, even if we escape hell, must be paid in purgatory. 
Help me do some real penance to make up for my sins and get rid of my part of purgatory before I die. That is a prayer that you would typically hear, uh, maybe a Catholic pray because they want to do penance to get rid of the sins that are piling up. So you do good to wash away the bad. Some people believe you do good just because it's good for you. I would venture to say this might be the most popular one. Researchers found that adults in 2013, uh, that they did a survey, over 50 who volunteered for about four hours a week were 40% less likely than non-volunteers to develop hypertension. Did you catch that? There was a lot of statistics in there. 50 per, uh, adults over 50 who volunteered four hours a week were 40% like, less likely to get hypertension. So this article that I read um, called, uh, the, the, I forget what the article was called, but it gave seven key facts for doing good. So these are key facts of why doing good is a positive thing. Here's the seven key facts. Number one, it decreases our stress. Number two, it increases our life expectancy. Number three, it makes us feel better. Number four, it makes us happier at work. Number five, it promotes our mental health. Number six, it makes us happier overall. And number seven, it motivates you to do good again. Do you see a common denominator in this list? What's the common denominator? Yeah, it's about me. Why do I do good? Because it's beneficial to me. I don't have hypertension, I don't have stress, I'm gonna be happier overall, it's gonna make me feel better. You know this is true because when they stick a microphone in front of anybody's face, when they're down helping with tsunamis or, or uh, uh, the hurricanes are gone through and people give up their lives to go down and help them, they stick a, a microphone under their face and they say, why in the world would you give up your life to come down here and help strangers? And the typical answer you receive is because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. The typical answer, now, all of these things are not necessarily bad in themselves. It is good for you to feel good. And by the way, you were created to help other people. You were created to do good things. The creation mandate is all about Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Well, 1 and 2. 3 is, that went downhill. But 1 and 2 is all about working to bless others around you and to make creation declare God's glory even more. Everyone knows it's a powerfully good thing to do good things for others. But there is a difference between doing good things that we know we naturally should do and doing the good things after Christ redeems us. Ephesians 2 says this, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what church? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's interesting that this, this verse says we are created in Christ for good works. There's a recreation that happens in our hearts when we come to know Christ as our Savior, where when we do good works, it's a recreated, repurposed, re-evaluated, re-motivational tool so that when we do good works, there's something different about doing good works after we're redeemed than before we are redeemed. Jesus' death somehow accomplishes this ability to give us a, 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 an innate ability to do things for God that we could not do before we came to know him. Here's the tension. The tension is that when the Bible talks about good works, it talks about it largely in a negative sense and sometimes in a positive sense. Here's one that you might be familiar with, Romans 3.12. All have sinned 
All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does what, church? How many people do good? That's interesting. No one does good, not even one. And then you pull over to Isaiah 64 and verse 6, and it says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There's a tension in Scripture about doing good works where sometimes they're given a really negative slide, and then other times they're given a very positive slide. Completely tension between the two. So here's my question. How do you know that your good deeds are going to count for eternity? So we're all doing good deeds for one reason or another. Maybe for the seven on the list, maybe you know, you're, you're anti-God and you just do good deeds because you're, it's gonna make you feel better and take away tension. But how do you know you, when you do something, you really do it with the right purpose and for the right reasons? And how do you know that inevitably it makes God pleased? Well, the first thing I would tell you is, and maybe the only thing I would tell you is, check your motives. Number one, big and, big and bold, check your motives. Matthew 6 and verse 1, that's where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6 and verse 1, we're picking up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as we're exegeting our way through. And in Matthew 6 and verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." Now, Jesus has just placed the bar very high for how we're supposed to be righteous. In fact, in the chapter right before this, in Matthew 5 and verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And to these people who were listening to Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees were like, they were the, the, the pinnacle of people who were righteous on the planet. They were like in the Chuck Swindoll group, all right? These are the people that you would invite to conferences and you would say, don't you want to be like them? And you'd say to your kids, be like Jesus, but if you don't know what that's like, be like this person over here. And Jesus stands in front of all these people and he says, no, 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 you missed it. Your righteousness doesn't have to meet the same righteousness as the scribes and the Pharisees. It has to be better. It has to exceed it. The problem is our hearts are not strong enough to handle recognition when we do good things. Our hearts can't be trusted. Our hearts really mess us over. There's two ways I think that our hearts kind of mess with us when we do good things and to kind of make what we do that is supposed to be hopefully for good turn out to be something different. Number one, we do good works hoping that our, our hearts will guarantee that, you know, we did it for the right reason, but doing good works is the quickest way our hearts can lie to us about our own condition. In other words, if I do good works enough, my heart will tell me I'm a good person. Good works equals a good person. And my heart is the first one to tell me that because I'll look at all the other people and I'll say, well, they're, they're not doing as good of things as I'm doing. We compare ourselves, we compare our good works, and then we think that equals Righteousness. Our hearts will lie to us. The second way that our hearts, uh, so we, our hearts lie to us and tell us that we might be right with God when we're really not. Number two, our hearts can pull even the meaning of our sacrifices out and destroy them. It's like when we do something good, we think to ourselves, I, I, you know, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for all the right motivations. I'm not doing it to get any glory for myself so I can feel better, all the above. I'm doing it because I just want to please Jesus and I want to bless somebody else. So I'm going to do this. But then when we finish the job and we walk away, we think to ourselves, I am a good person. Look what I did. You know, Beth wouldn't have done that, but I did. Yeah. 
We compare ourselves and, we, and, we, and then all of a sudden we steal away, our hearts steal away because our pride gets in the way and it steals the rewards, the, the blessings out of what we did for good. We can start to bless somebody by doing good for them and ruin it by putting the light back on ourselves. So the challenge of good works is this, it's our motivation. Listen, there's a deep instantaneous re- uh, satisfaction about doing something good and getting recognized for it. When I do something good, there's a deep instantaneous need for myself to get some recognition for what I did. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's because you're a loser, Craig, but I'm not like that at all. And maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not gonna argue that with you. But there's just something deep inside the heart of Craig Jarvis that says, if I do something good, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody sees it and might pat me on the back. Especially if they think that I haven't done anything good lately, maybe they'll think, oh yeah, I was wrong about that guy. He's pretty good. But there's a more beautiful and meaningful satisfaction when we do something good solely for God. Here's the key. Any work done from somebody who does not recognize the authority over them from God, that motivation is always improper. Let me say it a little bit differently. Good works done by those rebelling against God can never be deemed righteous by God. If my life is a continual, a continual act of rebellion against God, meaning that I don't acknowledge him, I don't give him thanks, I don't uh, uh, say that he's graceful, I don't say that he has authority in my life, I'm living in rebellion against God. Any action I do for good has to be done for a different reason other than to please God because I don't really care a lot about God. Good works done by rebels against God cannot be deemed righteous by God. It's a fact. It's just an understood fact. That's why all our righteousness in Scripture, in Isaiah 64, uh, 64, 6, are deemed as filthy rags. But at one point, God takes over, and then, then they're made to count. Why am I a good husband? <laughs> If I am a good husband, I'll talk to Beth after this. She, uh, she can hold a Q&A with you afterwards and deny all of it. But anyway, why would I want to be a good husband? Ultimately, I want to be a good husband because of the residue on my kids. I want them to know what a good husband looks like. I want them to be blessed. I want them to grow in a healthy home. I want to bless my wife. I don't want her to be stressed. I want her to be comfortable. I want her to be secure. I want her to be secure in my love for her. Ultimately, I want to be a good husband for all of those reasons, and they're all fine and good. But ultimately, my motivation for doing that is because God gives me the rules for being a good husband, and ultimately, I'm a good husband to my wife because my responsibility is primarily to God. Someday, I'll stand before God, and he'll say, were you a good husband? I'll say, you know what? I I hope I was. I I, I tried to follow your rules for what a good husband looked like. I'm accountable to God for being a good husband. That's the It's a motivational thing. Good father. I hope I'm a good father. So, sometimes I'm not. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers those, uh, those faults. Don't drop your Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that it does because there are plenty of faults to be covered by Jesus' blood. But ultimately, I'm a good, I want to be a good father, not because my kids will turn out, hopefully not to be morons, but so that I can stand before God someday and say, you gave me four kids and I tried to raise them up in your instruction and in your admonition. The ultimate goal of blessing somebody else is, and my motivation is to let the light slide off of me and slide onto Jesus Christ. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let me ask you a quick question. Why would I want to be seen doing good things? Just answer. Why would, why would you want to be seen? Hunter. Because so uh, enhance your reputation grow big and you, you'll appease the masses. Amen. Yeah. But not, it doesn't mean that you will, it doesn't necessarily mean, it, it usually doesn't, it may not please God, draw people to him, but at least it, it makes it easier to, for, to share the gospel better. Okay. <clears throat> not necessarily a, a bad reason there, but you want to have a good reputation so that when you speak for Jesus Christ, you got a good reputation to stand on. Because if okay. you do bad, they're going to be like, yeah. they, I doubt they come. Yeah, if you blow it, they're going to doubt your, your character. Okay, good. Why would I want to do good? Why would somebody want to do good? <laughs> to help others, good. Please Jesus, yeah. Well, you all give me wonderful Sunday school answers. <laughs> what, why would somebody else want to please Jesus? Lots of other reasons. Pride. Pride, yeah. That's not a Sunday school answer. Further's kingdom. You see the spectrum that we're building here? I mean, one is really, really negative and the other is really, really positive. There's not a lot of leeway in between. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, say this with me, church, if you would, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Doing good works so that others can see it, good or bad? Good. What is the purpose for doing good works? So that other people end up giving glory to the God I serve. It always boils down to motivations. You can do good works to draw attention to Jesus or you can do good works to draw attention to you. There's not a lot of in-between leeway here. The motivation is to get them to see Jesus and not me, not you. These are the actions that become rewarded by our Father. This is why he goes on to say in verse two, this, or thus, when you give to the needy, listen carefully to these words. Jesus continues to teach, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have all received their awards, their rewards. In Jesus' day, religious piety was demonstrated by giving to the poor. In Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11, you were instructed to give to the poor. In the Old Testament, it was full of admonitions how to provide for the poor. Even Ruth, you remember Ruth when she collected the grain on the edges of the field? It was even in the law that you had to collect, if you had a, a field of grain, when you collected the grain, you had to do a really poor job of it. Do you know why? Because you had to leave residue on the field so that the poor people can come and they can pick it up and they can be fed as well. All the way through scripture, God is taking care of the needy. And he, and he says to us, when you give to the needy, it is not an exception, it is an assumption that we are doing good things to bless, especially those who are in need. And Jesus says, when some people do this, they blow their own horn, right? Sound no trumpet before you. You've heard that term, blow your own horn. I know people who blow their own horn very well. Jesus uses the same illustration. He says, when you give to the needy, don't blow your own horn. We went to a church, one of the first churches we worked at, and um, <laughs> in this church, 
we had three thrones on the platform. You remember those old days in the old churches when they had the three thrones? You know, you had the little throne and then you had big throne in the middle and the, the worship guy and the, you know, whoever, whoever was leading the announcements, they got the small thrones. And then if somebody else came up, they got a stool. And then uh, the pastor, he sat in the middle, you know, where the view was, by the way, the worst. Uh, but he would sit in the middle. And then, uh, uh, so I was in this church and, and the pastor would stand up and he would always do the, announce, uh, do, do the uh, offering. And when it was time for the offering, he would invite the ushers to come forward, just like we do here. And then the ushers would come forward, they'd pick up the plates. And then before he'd pray, he'd always do the same thing. He wore a coat jacket and he would always put his hand in his coat jacket and he would pull out a white envelope. And he'd lift it in the air and he'd always say, it's time for the offering. I've got mine, have you got yours? <laughs> I know, I know. Somebody say something there, all right? Just so you know, you're like... I've got mine, have you got yours? This is my first ministry. I saw this guy in the, every Sunday. I've got mine, have you got yours? And then he would put it in the offering plate and then he would pray. And it was, yeah, I know. It was a great illustration to me about why we do what we do and what kind of attention we're looking for when we do what we do. The reason we give is not so that we can get recognized. The reason we give is because we are looking to receive accolades from God. Jesus says, this activity of giving, this activity of doing good, this activity of sacrificing for other people, this is a good and righteous activity. He's not saying do away with it. He's not saying do away with giving to the needy. He already assumes we're doing it. He is saying that your motivation can ruin it. So whatever sacrifice you're giving can actually, even if it's a good and righteous sacrifice, can be ruined if your heart is not right. So what is the formula for a good and righteous deed? Here it is. Good work plus right heart plus fitting application equals righteous deed. Jesus goes on to say in verse three, but when, notice also he says when, not if, but when, but when you give to the needy, this should be a regular thing for us, for those who follow Christ, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. How can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? It's an impossibility, right? Jesus uses this huge, amazing contradiction of terms to make a point. And his point is to really nail a very key word